Father, I want to thank you for the work of Jesus. And Lord, we're asking you to make it clear to our hearts today that Jesus is alive and well, that he's strong and mighty as the Savior of his people, as our Savior, Lord. And Lord, I pray that for every person who gathers in this place or listens over the internet or the radio and does so with a heavy heart that, that feels deeply the need to be rescued, the need to be saved and delivered. Lord, I ask that Jesus would come to our hearts today and we would know his deliverance. We would know the salvation of the Lord. And Father, we know we're not the only ones asking that, the only ones needing that. And so I pray for the other churches of our community, God, that you would do a work of of great grace among your people today. And I pray for the family of believers, Pastor Torres, the, the body of believers at Veterans Church in Melbourne. Lord, I ask that you give grace to them, that they would know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we look forward to hearing what you'll say to us, what you'll do among your people. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to continue a series we began a couple weeks ago that we've called It's All a Christmas Story. And if you were here, you know that we began in Genesis chapter 3, looking at several stories through the Scripture. And we did so with the understanding that the Bible is a book about God and that all of the stories of the Scripture are not just a random collection of disconnected stories, but they are all one big story, the story of God coming to this earth in the person of Jesus. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 3. Last week, we looked at Joshua 2, and we saw how God was connecting the crossing of the Red Sea with this woman named Rahab in the land of Canaan, and then fast-forwarded to see, even here in Matthew 1, how that connected with Jesus. It's all a Christmas story. And since we're just a little over a week away from Christmas, as hard as that is to believe, am I the only one who feels like it's incredible. We're just over a week away from Christmas. I thought it might be a good idea for us to get a little closer to the traditional Christmas story as we've understood it. And so we're going to be looking at the story of the man who was the earthly father of Christ. It was the man who raised Jesus. His name is, is Joseph. You guys know much of his story. And I just want to ask, can you imagine the weight of responsibility of being told that you were the one chosen to raise God in the flesh, to, to, to give a house and a home and a family to the very Son of God. Can you imagine how overwhelming that news would be? I know how overwhelmed I was when Emily and I walked out of the hospital with our first, with, with Logan Matthew. Um, I was so overwhelmed. I could not believe they were just letting us walk out with our very own human. You know, I mean, literally, we didn't have to take a test or anything to do this. How did they know that I could do the job? I Literally, I was thinking about it this week. It was harder for me to get a driver's license to get a pair of prescription glasses and to adopt a rescue dog than it was to have my very own human being given to me. So I was just overwhelmed in that moment thinking, what am I going to do? This is so hard to believe this person is in my care. Imagine being Joseph. And you guys know that the Bible doesn't talk very much about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. As a matter of fact, if we want to know anything about him, we sort of have to piece together different things we find in the New Testament. We, we know that he was from a little place called Nazareth. Nazareth was a small 
insignificant little town in Israel. As a matter of fact, scholars have pieced together through excavation that there were probably about 400 people who lived in Nazareth during the time of Mary and Joseph. So this small little insignificant town where Joseph worked as a a working class guy, a carpenter who worked with his hands, probably made very little money, didn't have much influence, not only in that community, but any other community. He's a guy who probably didn't live to be very old because there's reason to believe that by the time Jesus began his earthly ministry, Joseph had already passed away. And so here we have this this guy, this small, insignificant man from a small, insignificant town. But in the one passage that we really get a good view of Joseph, we find that from this small, insignificant man, there are big significant lessons to learn. And so this morning, I want to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, the story of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And I want us to learn a few things that I believe the Bible shows us clearly. And I'm going to begin reading here in Matthew chapter 1. I'll start here in verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation or salvation is from the Lord. You'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God for us this morning. Verse 18 kind of gives us some insight as to where we are in the life of Joseph. It says that he and Mary were betrothed to one another. Now, betrothed is not a word that you probably grew up using. Betrothed was part of the first century culture of Israel. The people reading this would have known what betrothal was. If a first century Jew was getting married, there were several steps that had to take place. First of all, the parents of the bride and the groom, uh, the fathers especially, would get together and they would discuss the possibility of arranging the marriage. And I've got to tell you, when I was a kid, I wasn't a big fan of, of arranged marriages. Now that I have two daughters, I think we need to bring that back. Anybody with me? Let's go ahead and vote that in right now. You're welcome, ladies. So arranged marriage was the norm and the fathers would gather. They would decide the arrangement was a good one. They would discuss the dowry and then if they agreed, they would enter into to a legal binding contract. Their, their daughter and son would enter into a legal binding contract of marriage. That was the betrothal. It was stronger than our version of engagement. It, it was so strong, as a matter of fact, in a sense, it was already being married. That's why in this passage, you'll notice that Joseph is referred to as husband and Mary is referred to as wife. That's because in the betrothal, you were legally bound to one another. And the only way that you could get out of the betrothal was through death or divorce, the same as 
marriage. And so that's where they are. They're in the betrothal period. That be, the betrothal period lasted about a, a full year. And in the time of, of that year, um, that time was set aside for several reasons. First of all, it was a time where the husband would go back to his father's house and he would build an extension or an expansion to his father's home. As a matter of fact, that's the language that Jesus uses in John 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. He's receiving us as his bride. We're awaiting the day of that marriage feast. The, the husband would go back and he'd prepare a place, expand his father's house. He'd also get to know his wife a little bit better. They'd get to know one another during this time. They had to wait to consummate their marriage, but that year period of time would prove that she wasn't pregnant. As she entered into this marriage contract, she was entering in as someone who was honoring her word and her covenant commitment to her husband. And so a year would go by to prove that she, in fact, was not pregnant. And so the, the end of the year would come, and at the end of the betrothal period, they would enter into this time of feast, this ceremony. It was the wedding feast where family and friends would come together. The groom would take the bride back to his father's house. They would be able to live and cohabitate with one another. Then they would be allowed to consummate their marriage. And our passage of Scripture, in the story of this guy Joseph and his bride Mary, it happens while they're in that betrothal period, that one-year period of time. And verse 18 says that during that period of time, where several things were happening, they're getting to know one another, they're expanding Joseph's father's house, and they're also proving Mary to be a virtuous girl by proving that she was not pregnant. It says in verse 18, Mary is found to be with child. That word found means to be discovered. And the way that it's written actually insinuates or indicates that Mary was discovered to be pregnant because she was noticeably pregnant. It was discovered because the signs of pregnancy were beginning to show. So just think about this, all right? Joseph is working to build his new home with his bride. He's getting to know her. No doubt he's come to know what we have come to know now through the scriptures about Mary. She's an incredible person. She's godly. She's humble. She's gentle. No doubt Joseph thinks, I have the girl of my dreams. And he excitedly is building a place for them to live together. And then this news comes. She's obviously pregnant. The whole thing comes crashing down. The only thing Joseph knows is that baby isn't his. Imagine the betrayal. Everything he thought that she was, now it's turned upside down. Maybe the only thing that's more upsetting uh, than finding out that she was pregnant was the fact that she refused to come clean on who the father was. I mean, she's, she's had the story that God himself did this to her. I mean, imagine in Joseph's mind what it would be like to respond to a claim so blasphemous from this person he thought he knew that God had done this. How would he respond? Look at verse 19. He obviously does not believe her story or else he wouldn't do what he decides to do. Verse 19 says, her husband Joseph being a just man. That means he was a law-abiding man, a man who honored God by keeping covenant with him. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her 
quietly. So Joseph doesn't believe Mary's story. He decides to divorce his bride, but really he only had a few legitimate options. The first option, and it's the one that his culture would have pressed him into, was to openly and publicly divorce her. Well, what they would do is they would bring the, the girl before the entire city. So, so the 400 people who lived in Nazareth would all gather around, and Joseph would declare to the whole village what she had done to him. What she'd done against God, how unfaithful she was, how she was a hypocrite. And everything they thought about Mary was untrue, just like everything he thought about Mary was untrue. And there in the middle of Nazareth, the elders would gather around and he would declare her sin against her. And the whole city would shun her for her shameful, disobedient life. Uh, And this wasn't really common in Joseph's time, but legally he actually had the ability to have her stoned to death in that moment. I got to tell you, as I was thinking about that, you know that's not what Joseph does, right? He's not motivated by vengeance. He's not motivated by hate. He's motivated by love and grace and mercy like a godly man would be. But I can't help but wonder if when Jesus has men from a city bring a woman caught in adultery before him one day, if he doesn't think about his earthly father, Joseph, and he isn't motivated by revenge either. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? Joseph doesn't decide to put her away publicly. The, the only really other option that he thought he might have was to go ahead and marry her, to, to make it right in a sense. But if he were to marry Mary, what that would mean is he was admitting that that child was his. So, so what he would do if he was marrying this girl who was found to be pregnant is he would be admitting to everyone in their little town that he and Mary had been unfaithful to God together. He'd have to live the rest of his life with this open shame. Everybody thinking he was that kind of guy. Everybody thinking about him, what he'd begun to think about Mary. He was unfaithful. He was ungodly. He was shameful. And Joseph was a just man, Right? So he couldn't admit to doing something that he hadn't done. So there was only one option left. Don't divorce her publicly. Don't marry her. Privately put her away. Divorce her privately. There was an allowance that sort of was a compromise. In the presence of two witnesses, Joseph could gather Mary and maybe their parents and two witnesses from the town, and he would have been allowed to disclose to them her unfaithfulness and to put her away. And even though it wouldn't clear his name totally, it also wouldn't put Mary to such a harsh shame. And that's what Joseph decides to do. And while he's thinking about that, it says he's contemplating, considering these things, he falls asleep one night and he's visited by an angel. Look at verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for she will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Right as Joseph is in this place where his life is crashing down around him, he's thinking about the options that he has. None of them are desirable. He finally makes up his mind to take the, the best of a bad situation. An angel, the word angel means messenger. A messenger from God comes with a message from the Lord. He hears this word from God and the messenger addresses Joseph in a really interesting way. He, he includes this phrase, Joseph, what's he say? Son of David. 
An interesting thing there is on two levels. One, Matthew begins the genealogy in verse 1 by describing Jesus, son of David. That's because the household of David was a special household. With all that Joseph would have had or not had, the one thing that he did carry with him was a good family name. He was of the household of David. And through the angel, God reminds Joseph, Hey, Joseph, you're of the house of David. That means something. And that's why in verse 23, he brings up a prophecy. A prophecy that was made 700 years before Joseph was even born. A prophecy that's found in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. A prophecy that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And that son would be the promised one from Genesis 3.15. Thousands of years beforehand. That promise was made not just to every person on the earth. But that promise was made in verse uh, 13 of Isaiah 7. It was made to the household of David. God reminds Joseph, hey, you're a descendant of David. You're the one I was making this promise to before you were ever born. Joseph would have immediately known. That's from Isaiah. That's to my family. That's to me. And here's what God's doing in this moment when he says, son of David, remember the prophecy that I made to the household of David? God's letting Joseph know that he and his family this, this new endeavor that he's embarking on, this, this family that's burgeoning, that's growing, that's coming together, they would live as the fulfillment of the promises of God. His bride, Mary, was the one chosen to bring Emmanuel, the promised Savior, into the world. That baby that was promised in the Garden of Eden is growing there in Mary's womb. And the virgin of Isaiah seven fourteen is none other than Mary, your bride herself. In other words, here's what... Here's what God's doing. He's saying, Joseph, I know it seems like your life is falling apart, but it's really just coming together. I know it seems like your plans are off the track, but my plan is right on schedule. He's saying, I get that you wanted something. You dreamed of having a normal life. You, you wanted a normal marriage, but God wanted something bigger. He wanted him to be married to the mother of our Lord. And so his plans never included that. That meant his plans had to be done away with. Joseph wanted a normal child. Don't we all? <laughs> no joke about that, but it did come out kind of funny. But God wanted to give him his only begotten son. And Joseph's dreams would never have included that. So Joseph's plans had to be undone. Joseph would have wanted just a normal family, but God wanted to give him a family like no other family in the history of the world. And Joseph's plans wouldn't have included that. So his plans had to be undone. And friend, don't you know that God still works that way? That God will allow our plans to feel wrecked. There are times where you're gonna lose sleep thinking that your dreams are coming to an end. You'll toss and you'll turn thinking that your future is cursed because your plans are wrecked. You need to hear the word to to Joseph in this story. God will allow your plans to be wrecked, not because he wants to curse you, but because he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless you with a blessing you could never imagine. Sometimes, friends, you need to know this. Your dreams just aren't God-sized enough. Your plans are too little to accommodate what God wants to do. 
so he'll let them get wrecked, but he'll still keep his promise. And as he moves forward, that's the word that Joseph hears, and then he receives in that promise these instructions. Don't be afraid. The child is from the Holy Spirit. You are to name him Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. So how does Joseph respond as his dreams are crumbling, as his plans are off track? And I really believe this, that what happens next is the most important thing we'll ever know about Joseph. It's really simple. It's very straightforward, but it's powerful. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, Look at this. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Do you see it there? He wakes up from the dream. He didn't believe what Mary had said, but now that the word has come from God, he hears and he believes, so he obeys, and the rest is literally history, right? That's what happens. At the beginning of this paragraph, what we find is a man whose life is falling apart. His marriage is literally falling apart. His dreams and plans are falling apart. He feels betrayed. He feels ashamed. He feels confused. He feels afraid. But at the end of this paragraph, he goes on to receive a blessing beyond our ability to imagine. Just think about this guy's life. Here he thinks it's wrecked, but he goes on to spend the rest of his days with Mary, the mother of Jesus. He welcomes God in the flesh into his world, into his home. He literally holds the Lord of the universe in his arms. He told bedtime stories to the living word himself. He built Houses with the very one who created the universe, including him. Blessings he never could have planned or imagined. And so what was it? What was the turning point between a man whose life is falling apart and a man who's living something better than he ever could have dreamed? Well, it's pretty clear. The word comes from God. Joseph hears the word of God. Joseph believes the word of God. So Joseph obeys the word of God. So Joseph is blessed by God. You see that? His faith expressed itself in obedience. And obedience, when it comes from faith, includes incredible blessing. That's what we learn, guys. Incredible blessing comes when faith expresses itself in obedience. Do you hear that? That's simple. Don't overthink it, but it's powerful. Incredible blessing comes when faith expresses itself in obedience. And just so you know, this isn't some isolated instance in the life of Joseph. There's not a whole lot told about him, but we do get a couple more glimpses even here in Matthew. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Matthew chapter 2. And I want you to see this pattern again. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, after the wise men have come and gone, it says, verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, 
Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now look what he does. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. You see it? The word comes from God. Joseph hears the word of God. Joseph believes the word of God. So Joseph obeys God and Joseph is blessed. Look down at verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. You see it there? The word comes from God. Joseph hears the word of God. Joseph believes the word of God. So Joseph obeys God and God blesses Joseph. And you know what? I was thinking about that pattern this week. This pattern just displayed here in the life of Joseph. Joseph hears the word of God. Joseph believes the word of God. Joseph obeys the word of God. Joseph is blessed by God. And I was, I was thinking about that. I actually was having trouble sleeping Thursday night. So I got up, and as I often do when I'm having trouble sleeping, I put in my headphones, um, and I, I listened to the Word of God being read over my Bible app. And in the morning, I woke up, and I was listening to a book of the Bible. And it was like the Holy Spirit uh, whispered something in my ear. Do you guys want to know? What? Do you guys want to know what he said? Okay, I'll tell you then, because um, it's the whole rest of my sermon. Here's what the Holy Spirit reminded me of this. Did you know that Jesus wasn't the only child Joseph raised? Did you guys know that? that? That Joseph and Mary went on to have other children. And did you know that one of Joseph's other sons became a leader in the early church? Did you guys know that? He became a leader in the early church to the point that he even was used by God to write a book of the Bible. One of Joseph's other sons. Anybody know what book of the Bible that is? James, that's the book that I I woke up listening to. Um, And I realized, wait a second, this was another man Joseph raised. And, And you guys can write this down. You don't need to turn there. But when James, who's raised by Joseph, grows and is used by God to write a book of the Bible, you want to know one of the patterns that God uses Joseph in the life of James to emphasize? Well, listen to this. James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. You can write this down, look at it later. Listen to what James, son of Joseph, has to say. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's a reference to the word of God, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer only who forgets, but a doer who acts. Listen to this. He will be blessed in his doing. The pattern's unmistakable, right? This is vintage Joseph. He says this, when you hear the word of God and believe the word of God, you obey the word of God and you're blessed by God. So what do we learn from the man raising Jesus and James and the others? We learn this, that the turning point of that moment when we can't figure our life out, when it seems to be falling apart, that moment when our dreams seem to be crashing down around us and our plans are off the rails, that moment when we hear a promise from God 
Our calling is not to figure it all out. Our calling is to hear the Word of God, believe the Word of God, obey the Word of God, and He's promised you will be blessed by God. And I don't have time to develop this, but I do want to share it with you. When you look at the obedience of Joseph, there are two words that mark his obedience. The first obedience is this, complete. Complete. Joseph obeyed completely, even when he didn't understand fully. Do you realize that in all of those encounters with the angel and he gets these directives and he's told what to do, there's never a moment when Joseph gets to raise his hand and ask a clarifying question? Do you guys get that? Imagine what it would have been like to be told, hey, listen, you're going to be raising God in the flesh, and then you have a million questions you can't ask, right? Like, how much is he going to know when he's born? Will he be able to read my mind immediately? How much is he going to have to learn? How am I going to have to teach him? How are the things going to come about that he'll teach me and then I'll have to teach him or I'll teach him and I'll have to teach me? How do, I, how do you worship a child that you're raising? Some of you guys have figured that one out. Did I step on toes there? What abilities is he going to have? Like what powers will he possess? How, how do I do, how do I raise God? No opportunity that we know of to ask those questions. His knowledge was incomplete, but his obedience wasn't. He obeyed God fully, even when he didn't understand fully. And friends, you need to know this. God's blessings come when we obey completely even when we don't know completely. Guys, there are great blessings when a husband loves his wife sacrificially, even if he doesn't know that she'll love him like that in return. There's great blessing when a child will obey their parents, even if she doesn't know that her parents are 100% correct. There's great blessing when a Christ follower prays, even when they don't know how that prayer will specifically be answered. There's great blessing when a follower of Jesus decides to give to the mission of Christ, even when they don't know how it's all going to come together financially in the end. There is great blessing when a person obeys God in what they know to do, because the Bible tells them what to do, even when they have to just trust Him with all the things they don't know what to do. Joseph obeyed completely, and he, played, he obeyed immediately. Do you guys notice that? He wakes up from his dream, you know what he does? He obeys. He gets right on it. He doesn't delay. There's something we tell our kids. I'll go ahead and share it with you. Go ahead and share it with your kids if you want to. Delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Maybe I'll say that again. <laughs> Delayed obedience is disobedience. Which means by the time you get to five, it was already disobedience. Okay, there I said it. I had to do that. Joseph didn't receive his blessings right away. His, his obedience was immediate even though his blessing was deferred. And there are a lot of us who are waiting for the blessing before we'll step out into obedience. We're deferring our obedience until God shows some sign on his behalf. And we're delaying our blessing when we delay our obedience because delayed obedience is disobedience. And here's the story. I was thinking, God, how might I, how might I tease out what this might look like? And, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Titus, you don't need to tease out what this looks like. 
We all know in our lives, even as I speak, many of you know things that God is calling you to do, how he's calling you to live, and you've put it off. You've put it off, and you here today know that delayed obedience is disobedience. God's calling you to obey completely and fully, immediately. Let, let, me, just, let me just say this, though. Do you guys remember a couple weeks ago, and I even hinted at it this morning, I said that the Bible isn't just a collection of little stories, right? It's one big story. And if the main character of the Bible isn't Adam or Eve or Abraham or Moses or even Joseph, who's the main character of the Bible? God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus. So this is a passage of Scripture that Joseph isn't really the main character. Jesus is. And we would be remiss... If we heard this story about a man who heard the word of God, who believed and obeyed and was blessed, if we didn't point out the most obvious thing that's stated here, his name is Jesus. Why? Why? Why is his name Jesus? It's right there in your your Bible. For he will save his people from their sin. You know what sin is? Disobedience to God. When you hear obey completely, obey completely, immediately, maybe the first thought that should come through your mind is, man, I've already blown it. And the second one is, and I'm going to blow it again. That's why you need Jesus. Jesus came to save his people from their disobedience, which the Bible shares with us means this. He came to provide forgiveness for how we've already disobeyed. And he came to provide power to enable us to obey. It all depends on Jesus. And so when you hear this, that God is calling you to hear his word, believe his word, obey his word, be blessed by him, the worst thing you'll do is roll up your sleeves and go out and try to obey God. The best thing you'll do is place your faith and trust in Jesus. Call on Christ to forgive you for how you've disobeyed and declare your need for Christ to empower you to obey today. So let me just tell you this. If there is something that God has placed in your heart that calls for complete and immediate, immediate obedience before you leave this place, would you acknowledge that you need the power of Jesus to obey that command? And would you step out in faith believing you have the power of Jesus to obey that command? We celebrate Christmas because Jesus came to save us, his people, from our sin, the sin of disobedience. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes before we move out into this day? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've acknowledged that you have been disobedient to God and you can't make yourself right, the good news is that Jesus came to provide forgiveness for your disobedience. If you've never called on Jesus to save you, to forgive you, would you call on him right now? Would you acknowledge that he lived a life you should have lived, but you haven't? He lived a life of perfect obedience. And he died the death you should have died, but don't have to. A death that's a penalty, a payment for your sin. He was buried and he rose again three days later so that not only would he give his life for you, he would give his life to you. And would you call on Jesus to save you? For those of you who'd say, I'm a follower of Christ. 
but the Holy Spirit has brought something to your heart and mind that's a point of obedience for you today? Would you hear the word of God and believe it? Would you step out in obedience by placing your faith in Jesus to empower your obedience? By God's grace, would you step out immediately today to obey Jesus as you trust him to empower your obedience? Whatever that area is that the Holy Spirit may have laid on your heart, would you commit to trust Jesus by stepping out into his power to obey? Father, I want to thank you for this small, seemingly insignificant man in a little village of 400 people whose life got blown away. His dreams got blown away. I want to thank you for how he responded when he heard your word. Thank you that even though he couldn't understand it all, he never could have dreamed what it would all mean. Lord, he believed. So he obeyed. God, thank you that there is great blessing that comes when our faith in Jesus expresses itself in obedience to you as our Father. I pray that no one would leave this place without calling on Christ as their Lord and that no one would step into this day without depending on Christ for their obedience. We thank you for Jesus. He saves us from our sin. We love you, Father. We need you. And we thank you we have you in Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.